1: Money. That's what I always say. You always follow yeah, the money.
2: Yeah. This is Follow the Money with Mitch Moss and Polly Howard on V
3: Hello, hello. Hour two of all the money coming at you. And know your eyes and ears do not deceive you. This is not Mitch Moss and Polly Howard, although I have gotten, you know, we look alike. Uh story I see about the Tony and Tim Murray on the desk live from Circa Resort and Casino, the wonderful sports book, the largest sports book in the world at our backdrop. And uh today you need ex-
2: to wake up, just have these uh screens just uh it, blast. It's kinda
3: like the Twilight Zone because hey, we're on us. the big one. Hey. hey. Hey, there What's you go. Up? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> the little things. Uh, lots of NFL news coming through this week. Obviously, the franchise tag window opened earlier this week. We also have Eric Bieniemy officially being introduced as the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders later this morning. 11 a.m. Eastern is set for him. And I mean, there's a lot of excitement largely, I feel like, especially for – like folks who are fans of Washington, you get a coordinator coming in who brought a team to five AFC championships, two Super Bowls as a part of that team. Excuse me. Um, yep. He didn't bring it, but a part of that. Um, but then there's also a lot of question marks of how much of this success that we've seen from the Chiefs offense is Eric Bieniemy how much is Andy Reid and how much is Patrick Mahomes and what really has his hand been in the success that that offense has had.
2: Yeah. And, you know, making the waves this week was uh, some comments from LaShawn McCoy. Um, look, I'm not here to say he's wrong. What do I know? He was, you know, in, in rooms with Eric B as, as a DC native, you asked me during the break, is this, you know, how are the fans responding? Well, the fans are, are thrilled because this is a franchise because of ownership, has been an absolute dumpster fire for going on three decades. I mean, it wasn't, it was a long time ago. I was about to say it wasn't that long ago. It was a long time ago, Stormy. I'm 35 years old. I was born and raised in the nation's capital. I don't remember success on a regular basis. And in the 80s and 90s, this was, or early 90s, a model franchise led by Joe Gibbs, three different Super Bowl championships. Uh, you know, the Hogs up front, John Riggins, et cetera. And it's been a long, long time since then. So the fan base is is ecstatic for the, the thought of, wait, this two-time Super Bowl offensive coordinator is coming to coordinate our offense? Awesome. But then you have to step back and be like, wait, is this too good to be true? Because time after time, you can leave Washington and be successful, Sean McVay. Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, all of those guys at one point in time were at a lesser role in Washington, left, and now have had success as a head coach in the NFL. But when you go to Washington, it's almost like you can never live up to what the expectations were. I hope that's wrong. I hope it's you know wrong for Eric Bieniemy. You know, bigger question to me is why? Why is he making this move? Because I feel like on the surface, most people are saying, this seems bizarre. Why would you lead Kansas City, Stormy, to go to Washington when there's so many questions, where you might have a lame duck coach in Ron Rivera because Sean Payton reportedly, uh, new ownership groups, reached out to him about taking over the head coaching position. So if you get a new owner in there in, in March or April, is Ron Rivera on his way out? Why would Eric Bieniemy want to hitch his wagon to this team? But what I'll say to this is, and there's so many questions if you're Eric Bieniemy, you've been looking for your opportunity. You're gonna have this is your offense, right? This Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach. He's going to, from my, from my understanding, kind of have almost autonomy on this offense. And there's pieces there. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, right? Terry McLaurin, uh, Jahan Dotson, um, you know, a running back room of Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Quarterback has question, but there are pieces there in Washington. That as an offensive mind should excite you, and we'll see how it plays out here.
3: And well, I know there's a lot of question marks, like you've referenced with the quarterback. Sam Howell is going to be, according to Ron Rivera, given the first look to earn that starting job. I mean, he has the tools, right? There's potential there, certainly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I liked what I saw at North Carolina, but there's a reason he dropped to the fifth round. Look, yes. Sean King, who you know you worked with last week, and I do a show with each and every weeknight here on Vison. He loved Sam Howell. He rated him as his number one quarterback, but there was a reason Sam Howell dropped all the way to the fifth round uh, in the NFL draft. And and it's been odd. As we know, fans tend to overreact from time to time. How that, that fan base in Washington has just said, yeah, Sam Howell's the guy. I'm like, why? <laughs> he threw 19 passes, completed 11 of them against what seemed to be an incredibly disinterested Dallas Cowboys team. So, yeah, I think he deserves a first crack, but by no mean means should he just be handed the job. The question, though, is, okay, if you're Washington and you're picking later on in the first round, now there's buzz about Anthony Richardson maybe going number one, which I don't believe, but the four quarterbacks that are being mentioned in this year's NFL draft storm, there's a good chance they're all gone Mm -hmm. by the top ten, by the top top ten concludes. So if you're a franchise who just needs to stockpile talent here, Do you trade up to get one of those quarterbacks? Do you go out and get a veteran? I think that's probably the route they're going to go just get some sort of veteran. Derek Carr's not going to Washington. Aaron Rodgers obviously is not going to Washington. So, yeah, it seems like that's the way you're rolling. It's going to be Sam Howell versus Andy Dalton, Mitch Trubisky, um, you know, one of those types of quarterbacks, you know, at least for this year.
3: I just hate for Eric Bieniemy that it took him having to leave Kansas City to create something of his own to where that's the only way in his mind he thinks that he can get a head coaching job, is if he proves it with another team on another level despite the success that he has been a part of in Kansas City, it sucks. And uh, in my mind, I was really kind of like disappointed when I heard that he was going to the Commanders. I thought that he should have stuck it out for one more year, see what openings – come next year because there will be openings and because the last two years in a row, there's been so much talk about the enemy and he hasn't gotten a job. You have to imagine he's gonna be at the top of a lot of people's lists going into next year if Kansas City continues to have success. So I just, I didn't like the move personally. I hope that he has success there. I just feel like there's more opportunity for failure Despite, I mean, versus staying in Kansas city and knowing what you have and continuing to build on that. You made the comment about Anthony Richardson, mm-hmm. and this is very important from an odds perspective here. He opened at BetMGM MGM, a hundred to one to be the number one overall pick in this year's NFL draft. As recent as Monday, that number was around 40 to one today. It is seven to one. A lot of people buying in on Richardson. I know CBS sports put out a mock draft that had him going Going number one one, um, with the Colts trading up to take that position. And then Bryce young going two to the Texans, I will die on this hill gladly that in no way, shape or form should somebody be taking Anthony Richardson. Number one, I get that there is the appeal of the freakish talent that this young man has and he does when he is on he is unbelievable he has the build 64 232 uh, like looks to be durable all of the things has the dual threat ability Josh Allen because of the success that he had coming out of college having a lot of the similar flaws leaving Wyoming and Laramie the accuracy issues you know people making the jokes that he couldn't throw a ball into the ocean type of a thing. Um, but the inconsistency for Anthony Richardson is staggering. I say when he's good, he's on. He's a freakish talent. When he's off, he is awful and it is unwatchable.
2: Yeah. When you look at what Bryce Young is, he's a proven commodity. Yes, the the, the frame is slight. He's under six foot and that's going to be held against him. And he's not Kyler Murray. He's not built like a, you know, a tree trunk on the bottom. He's he's a slender build. But then look at C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, yes, he had elite wide receivers to throw to his entire time Mm -hmm. at Ohio State. But for me, you know, how good is your good? Anthony Richardson's good can be, you know, elite. But when C.J. Stroud was cooking against the eventual national champions in Georgia, I mean, they were on the ropes and should have lost that game, Georgia, when you look at Ohio State. And that was without Jackson Smith and Jig. But yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. was out there, but he got hurt. In that championship game. And I think for CJ, Stry- or excuse me, semifinal game, going back to Anthony Richardson, and here's an important thing, though, when it comes to betting the NFL draft. I don't disagree with a word you just said about Anthony Richardson. It does not matter what we think, right? It's all mm-hmm. about what people are reporting. It's an
3: information game.
2: 100%. Look, I couldn't tell you the difference. I didn't have an opinion on Trayvon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson last year. But what we knew was that. Trent Baalke down there in Jacksonville, the track record said he likes to take more upside type of guys, and that's why ultimately Trayvon Walker was the guy. So we got to see how this all plays out. There's going to be a ton of smoke screens because unlike last year where you had Jacksonville picking one, and we were pretty confident that Jacksonville was going to get a defensive player, Stormy, keep that number one pick. We have no idea what Chicago is going to do. Chicago likely will trade out, but they could keep it. They could get Jalen Carter. They could say, we're going to trade Justin Fields and go get a quarterback. So, this is really one of the more unique draft processes when you incorporate the odds because there are so many different scenarios that could unfold here. And look, if you could have got 100 to 1 on Anthony Richardson Stormy, sure, why not? You know, why not take a flyer on that? At 7 to 1, no. No. Do not play it at 7 to 1. I wouldn't play, honestly. You know, I love the draft. It's my favorite thing to bet, personally, Stormy, because it is such an advantage for us, the better. I'm not laying a $1.55 of mm-hmm. Bryce Young, you know, CJ Stroud plus 340. No odds are really all that intriguing at this point in time for number one pick.
3: Yeah, I'm more interested for when some of the alternate propositions come out, like how many running backs are going to go in the first sure. round. Like, those types yep. of things. I think there's a lot of opportunity in that as well. Um, but I... For me, I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class. I mean, I I got the opportunity to cover them in the Sugar Bowl this year. And talking to Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien rave about how brilliant this young man is. Like, Nick Saban isn't the most complimentary man in the world. And he is just glowing talking about Bryce Young and that the size that is what he is going to get dinged for for the next however many months leading up to the draft. He said it is not an issue in his mind at all. So
2: what is Alabama last year without Bryce Young? Just just think mm-hmm. about that. He was a magic man on the field. Anthony Richardson against Kentucky was 14 of 35 with two picks.
3: <laughs> just saying. <laughs> for a betting edge on the NHL, NBA, or college basketball. And who are you kidding? You're watching this program. Of course you are. Well, don't worry, the VCN experts have you covered. Become a VCN Pro subscriber with the introductory offer of just $9.99. VCN Pro subscribers get access to the daily recap of top plays made by all VCN show hosts and guests, tools like betting splits, deep dive betting reports, VCIN betting guides for the biggest games of the year, where our experts have bracket breakdowns, top plays and daily props. Don't miss out, though. It's a limited-time offer. Visit vsin.com slash subscribe today. Sign up again, just $9.99. That's vsin.com. Slash subscribe Stormy Bonantoni and Tim Murray live from Circa Sportsbook still to come this hour in about 15 minutes. Paul Stone, college football handicapper, will join us, talk through some of the game of the year lines already betting college football in February. Then uh, in about 45 minutes, Eric Eager, VP of Research and Development at Sumer Sports, get back to the NFL in a 9:15, Keith Smith, contributor to SpotTrack, CelticsBlog.com, and the NBA front office show Talk all things hoops. Right now, though, are you ready, Tim Murray? (laughs) It is XFL week two. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Thursday night football back on our TVs. (laughs) I'm trying to get the people hype, okay? Spring football is hard to sell. I am here for the people.
2: All right. This is going to be the segment where I tee you up because I don't know anything about the XFL. Uh, Saw bits and pieces outside of lemons being thrown at your game at Audi Field. So fun. The beer snake, bring back the beer snake people. Bring it, uh, let it happen. Like come on. It's a, it's one of the few things that you've got going for you. Bring it back.
3: Yes, um, that was, I mean, my broadcast career was all really leading up to that moment of being an investigative journalist on the beer snake and why it was being confiscated and where the lemons came from that were being thrown on the field. By the way, it was from a beverage that was being sold in the stands. They had like, it looks like it was full lemons that were just being chucked onto the field, but they were squeezed in a drink and then released.
2: I did like the fact that watching that broadcast, uh, Harry Douglas was on the sidelines Mm -hmm. with you as well. Um, that you guys fully embraced the lemon throwing, you know, if this oh, yeah. was, if this was a college football game or an NFL game, oh my gosh, this is outrageous. How could you do this? That's eh, all right. You
3: know, it's kind of fun. Well, it, yeah, it's the XFL. It was for sure the most ruckus fan base that we had all weekend. And, um, that entire end zone reeked of beer. I, one of Good. the more, one of the more embarrassing Good
2: job, DC <laughs> making me proud to be a Washingtonian. Thank you. For I'm making, at DC. Keep drinking.
3: Again, next weekend. So we'll see what happens area. with the beer snake scenario. I need to set up an interview with a representative from the XFL and find out the nitty gritty.
2: <laughs> I blame the rock. Let the Call the rock and make him bring back <laughs> yeah, just, the beer snake. I have, right? yeah, have
3: Dwayne. Come on. Dwayne on rock, speed make dial. make it happen. Me and DJ.
2: Before we get into these games, though, I want you to kind of explain some of the unique aspects to the XFL. And I think some of the things that, you know, these, these leagues and, you know, everyone for a long time, the original XFL run by Vince McMahon was kind of a punchline. But when I watched the 30 for 30, a couple of the aspects that they brought to the XFL were really unique, which was like different camera Mm -hmm. angles and access. So a couple tweaks that the XFL have which certainly can play into betting because I think most people assume just play unders in the new league, not necessarily the case because of the point structure. Mm -hmm. So overs went three and one in week one of the XFL stormy. What are some of the uh, strategies these teams can go about when it comes to after touchdown, because it's not just, one or two, you could actually have a three point conversion.
3: Yeah. And what we noticed, especially in week one was that no lead is safe in the XFL because of that scoring structure. So a touchdown is your typical six points, but then you have the opportunity to go for a one, a two or a three point play after the touchdown. And largely the one point conversions were not successful. Week one, they were one in seven and most teams actually went for two or three. The
2: one is where does the one take place from,
3: from the one yard line.
2: Oh, need the Jalen Hurts uh, 2 chi- cheap yeah,
3: sneak there. Right, exactly. But hey, if the NFL's so make you said the one-point
2: conversion went one of one seven? One of
3: seven. Wow. So most teams even told us kind of going in based on the numbers and analytics that they had come through. Look at this, analytics in the XFL. That they had done on their own, said that the two-point plays would be the most successful. And in talking to Harry Douglas and some other former players that were receivers, they all said, Give us the three point play, give your receivers a little bit more space to maneuver. Um, They preferred that angle. And we saw that with Seattle in the game that I was working, Seattle and DC, they went for three every time. Hmm. So get to know different coaches' tendencies, strategies, the way that they want to play it. But I think that the one, two, and three point play is a big game changer because we saw in the Seattle, um, sorry, in the St. Louis Battlehawks game, they're down 15 3 with a minute and a half to go and they end up winning that game because they convert the three-point play. In the fourth quarter, there's an alternate to an onside kick where you can go for a fourth and 15. I love that. They convert that score and go for more points after the touchdown again and end up winning 18 to 15. So they they won and covered after being down 15-3 with a minute and a half to go.
2: See, that's what I'm talking about for the XFL. That's the excitement that you need. So the fourth and 15, I think, is... I don't know if it'll ever be adopted, but I I really love this as an alternate because every once in a while, you'll see an onside kick be recovered, but mm-hmm. the recovery rate is so, so small. Fourth and 15, I'm not saying that, you know, you would, it's a, it's a high hit rate, but most, te- any team I think you ask in the NFL, you would say, would you rather run a fourth and 15 play with a, Patrick Mahomes, or have your kicker hopefully pop up an onside <laughs> kick. I'd be curious at some point down down the road if we ever get to the point of implementing this into the NFL, because I think this is, from what I've seen so far, Stormy, this is the most unique and um, you know creative way, the new thing I should say mm-hmm. that XFL has brought into.
3: Well, and something that I think has been a reason why previous iterations of the XFL and other spring football leagues have failed is because they try to like be a competitive force with the NFL, which is something that you're just never going to be the the format that Dwayne Johnson and co-owner Danny Garcia put together here is that they really want to be a developmental league and a feeder league to the NFL. And that is not only feeding players, but feeding ideas and the fourth and 15, the kickoff that promotes returns over touchbacks, the listening in on officiating. There's a lot of things that the NFL has a relationship with the XFL four and is trying to see what things they might want to integrate at a later date.
2: Well, I'll say this too about the comeback. So you mentioned what was it, St. Louis mm-hmm. had the comeback AJ McCarron's team, yep. right? Um in game betting, if if books allow it, I don't know. I mean, look, books are are trying to figure this thing out too, but it, it certainly feels like in game betting is going to be advantageous, right? Because yes. of the ability to come back. Are you guys incorporating gambling a bunch on the broadcast?
3: We are. And I'm actually really excited because on my crew, I'm kind of the only one that really gets betting. So I get to kind of have my little niche over here of talking about it. And for example, in the game, I was working with Seattle and DC. um, You could get Seattle and they ended up not being able to pull it off, but you could get Seattle when they had the ball driving down two points at four to one live. And so like things like that, that we're trying to incorporate in the broadcast. um, I think that's one way that you can grow your audience for the XFL is by just really leaning into betting. And it's cool that ESPN has interest in doing that.
2: hundred percent. And you saw that before, you know, COVID hit in 2020. I remember uh, the XFL starting to kind of gravitate towards uh, betting here. So no, I, I, I think that, embracing gambling being creative and not trying to be a competitor yeah. all those things are going to try to you know build this thing up um, you know, ultimately for for the league. So
3: our our last minute here, I yeah. do just want to touch on the game that is tonight. Yeah, um, Battle
2: Hawks and Sea Dragons. Yes. What do you got?
3: Exactly. This thing has been bet up like crazy from two and a half to four just over the course of the last twenty four hours. I think Seattle is the right side, but I don't like it now that it's gotten up to four. I'll be curious what the environment is in Seattle because the Kraken do host the Bruins tonight as well. Um, and Seattle was supposed to have a good fan base, but short term. Because they played the latest game on Sunday night, 8 Eastern kickoff, and now they're playing the earliest game of the week, a short week. Two teams that had completely opposite starts. Seattle got out the gate super hot in their game against D.C. and then just fell to the wayside. Ben DiNucci had multiple turnovers, couldn't get it together. Meanwhile, St. Louis did nothing, nothing for 57 minutes and then they turned it on and AJ McCarron came up in the clutch. I prefer the coaching edge that Jim Hazlitt, a former NFL coach of the year is going to have in Seattle over Anthony Beck a former player who just made his head coaching debut a week ago. Their defense looked really, really good as well held DC to just 177 yards. And there are some offensive line issues for Seattle. I think that that, um, excuse me for St. Louis, I think that Seattle defense can get after AJ McCarron a little bit in this spot. So, um, that's the way that I'm playing it.
2: Anytime you can lay four points with Ben Denucci, you have to do it. <laughs> you just have to trust you the really, former James Madison Duke. You really don't. The though. Nooch, baby. You
3: really don't have to. I have a funny story about Ben Denucci, though I can share with you in the break. <laughs> don't go anywhere. <laughs> Paul Stone coming up.
2: This is
3: Follow the Money on VSAN. Sports, sports fans, as football season ends. Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook is the place to be for basketball and hockey. Bet Rivers has you covered for every line odd and boost. You can join them each week for new promotions. Like the Tuesday hockey, first goal insurance, Saturday hockey, same game, Parlay Bet and Get, Weekly Pro Basketball, Bet and Get, and more. Check out BetRivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app. It's a whole new game. And see I got. Too ahead of myself, Tim.
2: Got a little too confident.
3: I was too confident earlier with the read, and then word one. There we go. Now, listen, normally this time of year, when we're talking about college football, it's like the prognosticators talking about the combine, the NFL draft, everybody getting set. Not Paul Stone. Ladies and gentlemen, excited to welcome in friend of the show, Paul Stone, the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, at Paul Stone Sports on Twitter. You, my friend, have an episode out now called Football in February where you are already getting in on the action for game of the year bets. Welcome in. You were telling us a little bit on the break, but I want the people at home to know as well, how you came across these lines and decided to strike.
5: Yeah, well, good to be on with you guys. First of all, Stormy, I live in the Eastern part of Texas. Louisiana has sports betting. Texas obviously does not. Uh, The sports books are about a hundred miles away from where I live. So yesterday, I trekked over to, to Bossier City, Louisiana, next door to Shreveport, to bet some PGA Tour golf in the Honda Classic, which is underway today, and also to bet a Major League regular season win total. I bet those golf uh, matchups that I was planning to bet and so forth, the Major League Baseball win total, the line had changed, so I skipped it. Before I was going to leave, I was at the kiosk, hit the link for college football, and there are over 20 college football games of the year. And uh, obviously immediately uh, caught my attention. So I uh, started making some uh, quick, uh, I stepped out of the sports group for a little bit, made some numbers and came back and uh, bet four games. So college football betting now, truly a year round endeavor. You can bet basically every month of the year now on college football games.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, Paul. And uh, appreciate you reaching out and, you know, anytime, I could just slip in some college football. I'm going to do it and uh, talk to Paul about it. So a couple games uh, that I want to, you know, get your thoughts on. Um, and some of these lines have moved. So we'll, we'll see if you still recommend these, uh, these plays. Uh, Alabama and Texas last year, uh, if people recall, at Texas, was a game that Alabama just eked out. Some questionable calls go against them. They don't cover the massive number. I think they were laying almost three touchdowns in that spot on the road, and uh, Alabama almost lost that game outright. So even though they won, I almost feel like this is a bit of a revenge spot for Alabama here. Uh, You laid eight. It's up to nine and a half uh, at FanDuel, Alabama and Texas. So uh, what led to you firing on the Crimson Tide and uh, under 10? Are you still looking at the Crimson Tide here in this spot?
5: To answer that question, first of all, Tim, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference. Nine's not really a key number, so I could certainly still recommend laying nine and a half with Alabama. No question, Alabama has holes to fill. Uh, They lose a 2021 Heisman Trophy quarterback, uh, Bryce Young. They lose edge rusher uh, Will Anderson, who's a generational-type player. Got to get better at wide receiver. Uh, So they do have some concerns. But they're only favored by eight points at home against a Texas team uh, that lost All-America running back Bijan John Robinson. They also, other than really the first quarter uh, of the game against Alabama, Quinn Ewers was shaky uh, for the most part during 2022. Um, you know, this line implies that Alabama is just four and a half points better than Texas on a neutral field. I believe the Gulf is wider than that. Uh, Alabama in week two I think there's still a play at anything less than 10 over Texas
3: how much of that thought process also went into your play with Alabama and LSU because that was another close game for the tide in 2022 um, but they came out a point short at Death Valley against LSU Jaden Daniels is coming back but Alabama laying eight again over LSU in this spot looking ahead to 2023
5: Yeah, so Alabama favored by eight over Texas in Week Two, and as you just mentioned, Stormy favored by eight over LSU in Week Nine. Um, This, you know, again, this implies that LSU and Texas have the same pie rating. LSU is a little bit better than Texas starting the year. LSU is going to be almost certainly a top-10 team, but Alabama in Week Nine they're going to be better than they are in Week Two. They're obviously going to be debuting a first-time starting quarterback, whether it's Jalen Milroe or um, Ty Simpson. But by this time, that quarterback, they're going to have over, you know, several hundred snaps under their belt. So they're going to be a better, uh, you know, a better player at that point. I think the demise of Nick Saban, I think it's been greatly exaggerated. Uh, this team is not, you know, as great as they've been in some of the recent years past, but they're still a quality team getting the Crimson Tide at under double digits late in the season, lost to this team last year. I just mix it all up, and it comes out. Alabama's a play over LSU at less than double digits.
2: Paul Stone joining us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Paul Stone Sports. Uh gets the juices flowing just to, to think about the possibility of, of college football here, Paul. Um, I'm curious, though, when you're making your numbers, Bill O'Brien has departed, left as the OC, and you know you live down in, in that Part of the country where I would imagine it's uh, some Bama fans thinks it's going to be addition by subtraction. They go and get Tommy Reese where it's kind of mixed feelings uh, with with his play calling. But that was, I guess, second or third choice for Nick Saban. How much do you put a coordinator change into your handicap uh, heading into a season?
5: You know, it's it's not a good thing, and they not only lost, uh, you know, their offense coordinator, Bill O'Brien, which you said might be addition by subtraction in some fans' eyes, but they lose their defensive uh, coordinator, Pete Golding, who took the job at Ole Miss, and uh, they now have uh, Kevin Steele as the new defensive coordinator. So they lose both coordinators. Not a good thing necessarily at all, something to be considered, but Alabama, they have pretty well seamlessly um you know, cross these bridges before, you know, losing coordinators. This has been a pretty regular occurrence there in Tuscaloosa. I don't really give it, you know, a whole lot of credence. Uh, I I think the people they have coming in will do an excellent job, and it's all about, to me, it's not, you know, so much about the X's and the O's as the Timmy's and the Joe's.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, While there's coordinator changes, there's a lot of head coaching changes around college football as well. I know there's a lot of curiosity down in Boulder, Colorado, about what things are going to look like with Deion Sanders at the helm. You had a play on their week two game, first home game of the season for Deion Sanders squad. What were you looking at?
5: Yeah, and I mean, you, you hit one of my talking points there. This is going to be their second game of the year, but it's going to be the, the first home game under Deion Sanders. That program's been energized with his arrival. This is a Colorado team, you know, obviously that was one of the worst power five teams in all of college football last year, went one and 11, 10 of those losses, by 23 or more points. But the roster has been overhauled. This is the day and age of the transfer portal. They're gonna have more than twenty-five transporters on their team, a lot of, you know, top level players. So they're gonna be much improved. You know, the question is how much better will they be? I'm not saying they're gonna pull a southern cow, but to show what the transfer portal can do from one season to the next, USC went four and eight in twenty twenty one, almost made the college football playoff last year. You know, they're not gonna do that, but they're gonna be much better. This is also a Nebraska team that is facing change. They have their own first-year head coach in Matt Rule. They only won four games last year. Actually, I thought I got seven and a half here. I look at my and I only got seven. I think it's down to six and a half now. Mm -hmm. I could still recommend taking Colorado at six and a half, but I think this is going to be a different Colorado team with just more athletes, to be frank about it, than last year.
2: Yeah, I think Colorado, there's no doubt. I mean, the amount of time we spent talking in December – about what was arguably the worst Power 5 football team in, in in college last year, just the buzz that Dion brings to that program. Uh, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs, and it uh, doesn't get easy starting out of the gates against TCU uh, as, a, I think, 17-and-a-half-point dog at some of these uh, spots that have uh, already popped. Uh, Paul, one more play uh, that you have, the old Red River rivalry uh, there in your state. Uh, as this game always played at the Cotton Bowl, uh, Texas absolutely blew the doors off the Sooners last year. Uh, they're laying now five and a half, I think you got it at four and a half, uh, but no key numbers crossed here. So what was your early handicap on uh, one of the best rivalries in all of sports Texas, Oklahoma?
5: You know, I obviously took Alabama over Texas in week two. I came back as you indicated and took Texas minus four and a half over Oklahoma here. Texas is going to be much improved on the offensive line. They could be really good at wide receiver. Uh, Their defense was improved last year. It's going to be even better in 2023. And while there's got to be concern about losing Bijan Robinson, they've got a true freshman out of the state of Florida, Cedric Baxter, who they believe is going to be their next big time back. You look at these rosters, I think Texas's roster is simply better than Oklahoma's. And I believe, you know, it's at least six points better. Than Oklahoma's on the second Saturday in October in the Cotton Bowl. When you look at these games of the year, you ask yourself the question, is the line I'm getting today better than the one I can get the week of the game? I think in this case it is. Uh, Texas is still good at minus five and a half over Oklahoma.
3: Awesome insight, Paul. Appreciate you. Thanks for doing this.
5: Thanks for having me. Y'all have a great weekend.
3: You too. That's Paul Stone, college football handicapper. Make sure you check out his new edition of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, Football in February. We've got college hoops in February coming up next. Follow the money from Circa Resort and Casino. Remember, everybody, the DraftKings Online Casino brings you a new era. Of your favorite games, you've got blackjack, roulette, slots, plus live dealer table games. And just this week, the DraftKings Casinos paid out some huge wins. A player bet four dollars and fifty cents, won forty-one grand on Triple Jackpot Gems. Another bet fifteen bucks, won over thirty thousand on Seven 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 Surge. And a different big winner bet just five dollars and won over twenty-five k on Lock It Link Nightlife. Download the DraftKings Casino app today. New customers can get a deposit match up to two thousand dollars in casino bonus funds when you sign up. Download the DraftKings Casino app, and use the code VSIN to claim the offer. V-S-I-N. Welcome back to Follow the Money. If there is one thing that I know about my friend to my left here, Mr. Tim Murray, it is that he loves situational betting opportunities, <laughs> especially in college basketball. And we have a few coming up tonight.
2: We do, yeah. Uh, there, yeah. They're, I am a big fan of revenge. I'm a big believer in... You know, the letdown spots, the look-aheads. We do, we do a segment each week in the college football season when we have no time to breathe. I find all the letdown spots. I find all the look-ahead spots. Sean gives me grief every week. And then, more often than not, they bear out. So, uh, look, nothing in gambling is, is 100%. But I think situational, especially in college basketball, is such uh, an important way to look. Nothing is 100%. But, you know, for instance, last night, right, UConn and Providence, number was seven and a half. The world was on Providence, depending on where you look. DraftKings at our betting splits on vcin.com, 78% of the money on Providence. Uh, Caesar Sports, the most tickets that they had, Stormy, on Providence. And UConn, it was, we had Rob Dostron who said he was going to the game. And even though he didn't necessarily endorse laying the point point stormy with UConn. He laid it out. It was at Gampo Pavilion. It was, you know, senior night. It was a whiteout. It was two beer night, which Ed <laughs> Cooley also mentioned post game. So all of that kind of put together. Why? Ultimately I played UConn first half, which is a very fortunate cover, but the full game cover was never in doubt. So situationally, that was a massive spot mm-hmm. for UConn and Providence who, you know, I actually faded him over the weekend in what I thought would be a letdown spot against Villanova. Not to be the case, they ultimately covered that game. But I think situationally, knowing the different spots is always an important way to look when it comes to college basketball.
3: I also loved uh, Cooley in his post-game press conference (laughs) acknowledging that the second half was men against boys. It was just a different level that UConn came out over Providence. We also have another classic Unranked home favorite yes. against a ranked opponent, number 21 Northwestern, a plus 195 money line dog at Illinois, Illinois laying five and a half points in this one total 136, but Northwestern a team that's on a five game win streak, which includes upsets over number then number one ranked Purdue over Indiana. Fresh off a 20-point win hosting Iowa. Now a five-and-a-half-point underdog on the road against an unranked
2: team. Yeah, Chris Collins' squad has, has really done a phenomenal job. I had Indiana last Wednesday night, uh, and I thought it was a, a ticket that was dead. They ultimately come back. Uh, Boo Booey gets the you know fortunate no-call on his game-winning shot. Uh, but Northwestern, yeah, running a five-game winning streak here. But you mentioned... Uh, this trend, uh, or you know, system, however you want to define it, look, this has been something I've been playing for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And Chris Andrews over at the South Point I think made it perfectly clear. He goes, "Look, we make ratings, not rankings, and the rankings should have no effect and no really meaning into power ratings, and that's what we've seen so many times this year. So the the trend that you've mentioned, you know, we just saw it happen twice on Wednesday. One came home, one did not, which is the unranked home favorite." against a ranked team is now 30 and 14 against the spread.
3: I loved your nugget though. Yesterday yeah. coming out of the Miami game, you got to take Miami if you, out of if this. You take Miami
2: <laughs> out of it. It's 30 and 10. Miami is the, the, the trend uh, denier. Uh, they have had this instance happen four times this year. Miami has had four situations where they have been ranked on the road as an underdog and they have covered all all four times, Stormy. So if you remove them, this trend is actually 30 and 10. Uh, I like Illinois here. I'm not going to lay the points. I'm going to pair them in a money line parlay, which we'll get to here in just mm-hmm. a little bit. But it also pairs with a couple other things, right? Big 10 teams at home have been incredibly profitable mm-hmm. in conference play. We saw two different instances last night uh, where both Wisconsin, who ultimately closed as a favorite, Stormy against Iowa, And Maryland, who was laying a big old number against Minnesota, covered as well. Home teams in league play this year are 71-41 and against the spread, which is an 11-point clip. And lastly, about Illinois, the big R. Revenge!
3: Yeah, They lost in Evanston
2: on January 11th. And Terrence Shannon is expected to be back. He's still listed as questionable. Terrence Shannon's been out with a concussion, missed the last two games for Illinois. 17 points, five rebounds, three assists per game. Illini, I-L-L tonight against Northwestern.
3: I knew it. If you didn't say it, I was going to be like, and of course, Northwestern did win by seven in the previous meeting back on January 4th. Okay, now to... Handy dandy look ahead spots. We have a pair of them in the West Coast Conference. St. Mary's, a huge 19-point favorite against Pacific, and Gonzaga, a 23-point favorite hosting San Diego. The two of them, Zags and St. Mary's, play each other this weekend.
2: Yeah, and you know this is a spot where on Saturday you've got revenge, big time revenge. We saw Gonzaga last Thursday night in a revenge spot on the road against Loyola Marymount, put up 68 in the first half against Loyola Marymount. So Gonzaga losing to St. Mary's in the fashion that they did a couple weeks ago, on the road, led most of that game, blew the lead. They go to overtime. Not only do they not win, they don't cover against St. Mary's, 78-70 overtime loss. That game has been circled for a while. It's a regular season finale, ton on the line. What do we get from St. Mary's tonight at home against Pacific, as you mentioned, lay in 19 and San Diego, at Gonzaga catching twenty-three, both massive look-ahead spots. Neither team is all. The, I, like, I wish BYU or you know, even though Loyola Marymount didn't show it last week, Loyola Marymount, someone like that, even a Pepperdine mm-hmm. would be in this spot. The fact that it's the two worst teams in conference <laughs> play. Actually, I excuse me, I meant uh, San Francisco, not Pepperdine. Um, Pacific though could be interesting here in this spot you know they're more middle of the pack san Diego's kind of further down uh in this spot and you know san diego could score a little bit but there's no way i would lay either number i'll just say that i haven't decided if i'm gonna take it but there's no way stormy i can lay a big number like this knowing what has been circled 35 times on their <laughs> yes. schedule In good for that conscience. Saturday. Yeah. You cannot do it. No, and, and it, you just, you you can't do it. It you know, these guys are human, right? And you know, so Pacific San Diego, you know, both I, I got to figure out if I if I want to take some points there, but man, if this was like if this were Santa Clara or Loyola Marymount or San Francisco, even a BYU, man, I would I would love this spot, yeah. but unfortunately, both teams are on the road. Could be a sleepy environment so i got to figure out how to perfectly uh, properly attack these two games tonight
3: one more ranked team in action number four ucla laying seven at utah uh, total 131 and a half. It's an eight Pacific, eleven Eastern tip-off on FS1. Utah, I'm sure, happy to be back at Huntsman after dropping back-to-back games on the road to Arizona and ASU. They've dropped four of their last six games. UCLA, meanwhile, has only lost four games all year long. So they also crushed the Utes back in January, yeah. 68 to 49. Shot nearly 49 percent that game. Were dominant on the glass didn't give Utah really anything on the floor. Do you think that that's something that can continue here?
2: Yeah, I think Utah could be the side here. Uh, we did our college basketball betting podcast. By the way, go uh, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Wherever you get
3: your podcasts, uh, Beeson.com slash podcast. Matt
2: Humans uh, likes Utah here, and I, I tend to agree. Catching okay. seven uh, at home. You know, home dogs, very profitable more often than not. Uh, UCLA is the real deal, and they're a team that I haven't put them yet in my futures uh, stockpile. Uh, but a team that I'm looking to uh, to potentially back, you know, with with everything they have got, you know, Tiger Campbell, Jaime has all these guys that were a part of their run to the Final Four just a couple years ago, and as you see, we have their you know profile up for those of you watching with us. They've been phenomenal uh, this year, and I, I do wonder. I, w- I was hoping, Stormy, that this might be a spot where you know the Saturday game might be a bigger game, but. It's Colorado, so it's not really a, a situation there uh, where it's you know a, a letdown or look ahead spot, but I do think Utah is capable uh, of keeping this close. So um, haven't gotten to the window yet, but I could see myself backing Utah in this spot at home, catching seven against UCLA tonight.
3: I've never been to a basketball game at Huntsman, but many a gymnastics meet. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, Utah has a great gymnastics program, don't you know? See? The more you know, it's the little things. Yeah, my mom is actually, she's a gymnastics coach, and she coached a girl that ended up going to Utah, so we went to a ton of meets. Miley O'Keefe, number one ranked gymnast nationally on the balance beam. You go, girl. We're going to step aside back to the NFL when we come back, and I'll leave my gymnastics talk at the door. But see, it stinks. You can't bet that because there's judging.
2: I took 15 to 1 on Utah gymnastics getting mentioned today. Cash that (laughs) ticket. (laughs)